Trainer Talks and Tales acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Turrbal and Yugara people of Mianjin. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Trainer Talks and Tales love having an array of guests with a variety of opinions. However, the views of the individuals do not necessarily reflect the perspectives of the host facilities. Hello and welcome to another episode of Trainer Talks and Tales. My name is Tess and this is Daisy. Hi Tess, I hope you had a great week, but last week we did actually touch slightly on the recent ASAK conference that you went to in Sydney and I was hoping for the start of this podcast you might want to chat a little bit more about the presentation that you did. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, so it was a great presentation. I was pretty happy with how it went. Um, Basically, we acquired a Brahmini kite over a decade ago named Zephyr and kites are notoriously flighty so he came in from the wild with fishing line entangled around his foot he was deemed unreleasable so uh, he stayed at Lone Pine and we were slowly building his confidence up over the years to get him in our free flight shows it took a long time there's a lot of steps a lot of hurdles and uh, a lot of positive reinforcement to get him comfortable in front of an audience but we got there and he now catches a fake fish every day in our shows brings it to us and gets a real fish as his reward. So basically it was going through how he got there and it's been a long but very rewarding process. That's awesome. So cool to hear how you're able to give a wild animal a second chance at life in human care and do all that really impressive and like naturalistic training too. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to get that conservation message across too every day. So um, pretty stoked with that. It's been uh, a very rewarding process. But anyway, how about you? How was your week? My week has been fun so far. Um, I do have a recommendation this week and it is another podcast and it's another one from Natural Encounters and their podcast Tech Talk and it's called Beer Pelican Not a Pelicant and it's with Greg who is the Director of Animal Health and Welfare from Riverbank Zoo. Now the chat kind of covers quite a lot but I guess it's primarily about retaining and developing staff within our industry and how that's changed over the last few years. It's definitely an interesting conversation and I'd be really keen to hear everyone else's thoughts on it too. Sounds good, Daisy. Looks like I'll have to add it to the list. Well, for this chat, we were really lucky to be joined by Ryan Cartlidge, who is currently the director and owner of Animal Training Academy. When we reached out on socials about what you guys wanted to hear about, the most common response was how to initiate training and inspire co-workers to participate in training. So with Ryan's extensive training background, we thought he'd be perfect for the job. So let's get into it. Hey, Ryan, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for being disseminators of great information. (laughs) You shared your calendar with us recently when we were planning this and we could see that you are a very busy man. So we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. You're another international guest as you are in New Zealand. So that makes it even more exciting. We, we sound somewhat familiar to, uh, similar, I should say, sorry, to those not in Australasia, but it's very <laughs> different. different <subjects. laughs> well, as you know, we love to start with our fast five. So let's get into that if you're ready. Yeah, shoot. All right. Kindle or paperback? Paperback. Tracksuits or PJs? Don't wear either. <laughs> so I'll get tracksuits. 
Kia or Kookaburra? Oh, Kia. Sure, hand down. <laughs> Come on, guys. Snow <laughs> trip or beach holiday? Beach holiday. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Ah, uh, yes. I completely agree. I have a lot of respect for that. <laughs> now, Ryan, you have had an incredible career within the animal industry, working across so many different facilities and programs, which has also included studying at the Karen Pryor Academy and interning at Natural Encounters too, which is amazing. So we'd love to know what those two experiences were like for you. Yeah, well, firstly, thank you for saying I've had an incredible career. Uh, it's definitely been a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to what's ahead for sure. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, the Karen Pryor Academy, I believe, was founded in 2007 by the amazing Karen Pryor. And it's an organization that really stands at the forefront of positive reinforcement animal training. Uh, many of your listeners have likely read or at least heard of Karen's amazing influential book, Don't Shoot the Dog, The New Art of Teaching and Training. Uh, so it's an absolute must read, I believe, for every human on the planet. Uh, and so I am what's known as a KPA CTP, which stands for Karen Pryor Academy Certified Training Partner. Uh, for listeners who might not be familiar, this means I undertook a rigorous six-month program with them. And this involved absorbing new knowledge, completing written assessments, submitting videos of my training, uh, and participating in both a two-day Zoom workshop and a two-day in-person workshop. Uh, the latter was particularly special as our instructor Alexis Davison flew over from Australia to assess our skills in person. All of this was to obtain my certification as a professional dog trainer through the Karen Pryor Academy. So that, that was obviously an invaluable experience that really helped me refine my personal animal training skills, knowledge and confidence. And for anyone listening who's considering the challenge of professional certification, uh, is arguably one of the best avenues for doing just that, but also for gaining professional acknowledgement of the skills and knowledge you now have. Uh, so this particular certification is obviously for dog trainers, and I would say most clients, if you're working with clients with pets, aren't going to be familiar with this certification, uh, but your peers will recognize it and your accomplishment. For me, this rec recognition instills tremendous confidence. I can simply stay, state I'm a Karen prior certified training partner. And those in our industry instantly recognize what that means in terms of specific skills and knowledge that I possess. Uh, so that recognition, I believe, is powerful and, and it helps boost my confidence. Uh, and when I know someone else has achieved the certification, I immediately respect them as well because I understand the dedication and resources required to gain it. Uh, just like I immediately respect you ladies, because I understand the time and dedication required to, to create a podcast show. Uh, we were just talking about that before we pushed record. <laughs> um, Natural Encounters, on the other hand, was founded in the 70s, I believe, um, at least the original approximation towards what is now Natural Encounters. Uh, and it started with a bird show at San Diego Wild Animal Park and by another industry-leading sensational trainer, Steve Martin from the U.S., Nowadays, I was a global company offering expertise in animal behavior and training across diverse species. And it's an organization close to my heart. Uh, I still collaborate with members from their team at least once a year, I would say. Um, and one of the most significant experiences I have been involved in with them, though, was when I flew to Dallas, Texas in 2012 to intern with them. So I spent six weeks setting up and participating in the Birds of the World show at the State Fair of Texas, uh, it was a life-changing opportunity where I engaged 
and everything from diet prep, husbandry, participating in the show, training, weighing birds, uh, interacting with the public. It, it was nonstop fun and learning. But then beyond the show, what truly resonated with me was the culture at Natural Encounters. Their application of behavior science, not just with the birds, uh, but in their interactions with each other, it was a revelation for me. They they definitely walk the walk and, and talk the talk. Uh, for listeners, my advice based on these experiences is to step out of your comfort zone, change your environment, connect with others, uh, and learn from different sources. And if you can't access such settings, remember that change happens one step at a time. So by listening to this podcast show, Trainer Talks entails and reflecting on what you learn is absolutely something to celebrate. I love it. That's uh, that's some great uh, <laughs> suggestions there. I have particularly the plug for Trainer Talks entails. We love it, Ryan. <laughs> You're very well spoken. Now, uh, you are the founder and director of Animal Training Academy, which is an incredible achievement. Uh, when did you feel like you were ready to step into your own business? Well, again, gratitude. You're very kind for saying that. Uh, it's been sweat and tears to get here. Uh, and it's incredibly reinforcing to hear how it's perceived by others. So very appreciated. Uh, so when did I feel I was ready? Well, with no disrespect to any organization I ever worked for, I felt that while as an employee in zoos, I wasn't really reaching my potential. So I believe I was motivated for a few years before I actually took the leap. Although I'm not entirely sure if I'm even ready now to be running a business. Most of the time, I feel like I don't actually know what I'm doing, but shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> For anyone listening and contemplating starting a business, I, I commend you. The journey begins one step at a time. And, and I'm personally not the type to meticulously plan everything or make decisions after extensive deliberation. Instead, I often rely on my gut instinct which, while beneficial at time, can also have its pitfalls. Uh, this approach, however, has made me decisive and confident in my choices. By the time I decided to start a business, I'd already concluded that I was unemployable in the traditional sense. It's not that I couldn't secure a job, but rather I chose not to. I believe many listeners can relate to frustrations of working in organizations where there's limited resources, detrimental culture, bureaucratic red tape that can hinder progress and innovation. Personally, I, I yearn for a change. Uh, so I, I took a significant risk. Uh, financially, times were tough. And while I recognize there are many facing even more significant financial situations globally than I did back then, I found myself with minimal savings, borrowing money from family and relying on my wife's support. Um, thankfully, they believed in me, and I dedicated myself tirelessly, working from 5 a.m. to midnight for years, which in hindsight is not a healthy choice. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, but for those in a similar position, feeling like maybe they're not reaching their full potential and maybe starting their own business is something they want to consider, uh, here's three pieces of advice from my journey. Uh, firstly, learn, learn how to make confident decisions, which involves trusting your instincts, but also knowing at the same time, when to seek advice if needed. Number two, build a strong community. Surround yourself with supportive individuals who support your vision and can offer guidance and cheerleading. And number three, embrace every experience as a learning opportunity. Uh, not every venture will be a success, but each experience, good or bad, 
offers valuable lessons and it's essential to reflect on both the successes and the failures, understanding what went right or wrong and using that knowledge to grow, adapt and make better decisions next time. In essence, uh, being a successful entrepreneur requires continuous learning. I realize that's not specifically what you asked for, but that's where we went. As a friend of mine, Teresa McEwen would say, you got me passion talking. I really hope that there's some people listening that are looking at creating their own businesses or stepping out into their own little world, because I think those three pieces of advice is, are so important and something that definitely Tess and I will take on too. Now, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the Animal Training Academy. Do you mind explaining a little bit more to our listeners about what the Academy is and what it does? Certainly, and, and thank you for the opportunity. Uh, at the Animal Training Academy, we recognize that our customers and followers aspire to hone their animal training skills using a force-free approach, most positive, least intrusive approach. And, and they understand that to navigate the myriad of challenges they encounter, a comprehensive knowledge and experience base is essential. However, like all of us, they sometimes hit rough patches in their training, leading to feelings like overwhelm, frustration, stress, embarrassment, and sexual helplessness. But we firmly believe at Animal Training Academy that no one should feel this way. Our conviction is that everyone should be empowered to make a positive difference in the lives of both animal and human learners that they interact with. Stemming from this belief, we emphasize, empathize with the frustration and sense of defeat that can arise when confronted with training challenges. And this very understanding led to the establishment of ATA, of Animal Training Academy. So since its inception in 2015, we've had the privilege of assisting thousands of trainers worldwide. Our aim has always been to help broaden their knowledge, enhance their skills, boost their confidence, and thereby positively influence the lives of the animal and human learners they engage with. Uh, for anyone interested in learning more and joining our community, we have a waitlist people can be added to to join our membership. We open our membership doors only twice a year. And then by registering, when they receive their doors open email, they can embark on a journey to refine their training skills and cultivate superior training practices that benefit both animal and human learners alike. Um, and you can find out more about that at www.atamember.com, www.atamember.com. Uh, and in the meantime, we have a podcast show as well. So once you've listened to all of the awesome episodes on this show, we've got a couple of hundred to keep you busy over there as well. Um, so ultimately, we don't want you, the listener, to grapple with feelings of embarrassment, overwhelm, overwhelm or burnout. Instead, our vision for you is to develop resilience against setbacks, become more organized, and expand your training expertise. In essence, we aspire for you at Animal Training Academy to possess unwavering confidence as a trainer and lead a rewarding life positively influencing the animal and human learners that you collaborate with. What an incredible business that you have created. And I'm really glad that you touched a little bit on burnout because you did a fantastic presentation at the conference that we were all three of us recently at about the importance of recognizing burnout, which is so important for all of us, especially within this industry. And you said you established in 2015. So that's nearly 10 years of being able to teach and train yeah. around the world. So congratulations on I that. Know. Thank, Thank you very much. Um, I, I look forward to being on your guys' show in 10 years' time as well. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, with your extensive training experience, we thought it would be a great opportunity to talk to you about the importance of training and training programs within facilities. Can you expand a little bit more on why you think it's so important to have a training program whilst working with the animals under human care? 
Absolutely. And, and, and before diving into the answer, I'd like to offer a definition of what I mean when I say training program. While others might have different definitions, which is totally fine, uh, I always find it beneficial to clarify terms before I start talking about them so we can make sure we're on the same page. Uh, and then also, rather than just a training program, I'm going to introduce the label of a behavior management program. And this encompasses training, but also includes enrichment and ensuring we're meeting an animal's behavioral needs. In my perspective, a behavior management program is one that's a formally recognized zoo-wide initiative aimed at enhancing the quantity and quality of training and enrichment activities. Its purpose is to serve the organization, educate and inspire visitors, and most importantly, provide the best possible care to the animals we work with, which also needs to fit in with, with the organization's policies and procedures, in, including your welfare procedures. Uh, for example, the five domains model commonly used in zoos consists of nutrition, environment, health, behavior interactions, and mental states they experience. All these domains influence and are influenced by our behavior programs. I firmly believe that a well-structured program takes account of each of these domains. And in saying all of that, I'm also giving myself permission to use the terms behavior program or training program interchangeably in this episode. But I mean the same thing when stated I say them. So the animals in our care, it's essential to recognize that behavior is continuous. Our animals are always behaving. Therefore, it's our responsibility to ensure that their behavior is healthy. This means providing them opportunities to fulfill their individual and species-specific needs. Moreover, we must minimize or eliminate exposure to stimuli that induce fear, stress, or anxiety. In instances where such stimuli are necessary, as in cooperative care, behaviors associated with medical procedures, movements, introductions, or even temporary separations for training purposes, it's vital to ensure that these events don't cause undue stress, fear, or anxiety. Another vital aspect of a behavior program, and I acknowledge, again, I might be veering slightly off topic here, is that our training should not only be effective, but also aim for the most positive, least intrusive approach. We want our non-human learners' lives to be abundant with reinforcers and we strive to offer them as much choice and control as possible. The less intrusive we are, the better. For example, ideally, they should always have the option to leave a training session if they choose not to participate. And of course, having skilled, knowledgeable, and experienced trainers in the program is paramount. Individuals bring, bringing accurate information and effective teaching skills to the table. And when I say teaching skills, I'm talking about teaching human learners. And I realize not every organization might have a highly skilled person, but in 2023, we have so many online spaces and communities available that becoming connected to them over the interwebs is one of the most powerful reinforcers, sorry, powerful resources, uh, in my opinion. Whether it's the Karen Pryor Academy, Natural Encounters, this podcast, Animal Training Academy, connect with good information and mentors, the connection or the ability to be able to connect with good information and mentors is literally at our fingertips now. Okay, this current bout of passion talking is over. <laughs> Back to getting on topic. <laughs> I just, I really liked as well that you mentioned about the five domains at the start of that conversation and how, you know, we would never not look into the nutrition or the shelter for the animals, how important that is in their day-to-day -day care. So behavior, 
and enrichment is equally as important in providing them an all-round healthy environment. Absolutely agree. And I think it's helpful to have frameworks. And I think frameworks help us compartmentalize ideas and help us form our strategies. Um, And another framework that I lean on heavily is Dr. Susan Freeman's most positive, least intrusive. I can never get this title right because it's a mouthful. It's an illustration um, and it's a little roadmap. You guys know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, definitely. She spoke a lot about it at the conference, which was really interesting. And and maybe we can link it to the show notes. But the idea is there's there's a little road and there's a little car and you have to imagine that you're in the car and you're driving down the road and you want to intervene in some behavior with your learner. And then there's all of these little... um, roads that come off the main road that you can turn down and you you take the first exit and ideally you can solve your behavior challenge there and then if you can't you go back out on the main road you keep going up and then when you start to get to negative reinforcement and punishment little road signs that warn you not to go any further and little road bumps Um, but the first two exits on that map on that framework are nutrition uh, meeting needs wellness so before we even start to think about behavior change in terms of environmental arrangement and positive reinforcement, we have two turnoffs on that hierarchy to ensure that we're meeting animals' needs, we've got their nutrition right, we've got their environment right. Um, So just to add that little uh, caveat to what you're saying, Daisy, which I thought was brilliant, um, that all of these parts of the five domains come back into our training programs. Yeah, absolutely. I also really enjoyed that you said that there is lots of opportunity to ask questions. You know, there's so many passionate people out there on the internet, as you said, you can, if you feel stuck, just reach out, you know, to like-minded people in different facilities. There's going to be lots of people who want to help you out with whatever you're struggling with. So I think that's great advice that there's a lot of um, access to information out there. I think that's that's a great um contribution and it reminds me of a recent ata podcast episode our most recent one actually where we had jim mackie from the zoological society of london on and and jim brought some ideas about uh, how keepers can get unstuck as trainers in 2023 and community was one of his main ideas and ensuring that you get connected to a community where you can ask your questions uh, and that you get support uh, and that has accurate scientific information in it. Uh, but the thing is, it's so easy now. It's just literally in our pocket. I mean, I, I wish I had that when I started. <laughs> My, things would have been different. Yes, we are very lucky in this day and age. Now, Ryan, would you mind chatting maybe about what a basic training program could look like in facilities? Yeah, great question. And, and, and of course, um, and also... I understand I've shared some ideas in the previous question, so I'll rattle off some more below uh, or, or moving forward in no particular order. Um, so there's many things to consider, obviously, when designing a training slash behavior program and what the program might look like and the speed of change from a program will vary based on the facility. Um, some facilities have vast resources while others operate with more constraints. For instance, a friend of mine worked at a penguin establishment in Dubai where the ratio of trainers to animals was unparalleled. Something I've never witnessed elsewhere. I think it was like 12 trainers per penguin or or something silly. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I know, right? So such resource abundance allows for more extensive training possibilities compared to situations where one trainer manages multiple animals with limited resources, which is the reality for 95, 99% of us. 
However, progress can most definitely happen in both facilities. Regardless of resources, I think a critical aspect to consider is ensuring buy-in from management and decision makers. Navigating that is likely another episode all on its own, (laughs) and I appreciate it's a significant sticking point for many. However, let's say you have buy-in. One of the first steps I believe in crafting a program is recognizing what re- what sorry what resources do you actually have available. It's crucial to understand how what you want to achieve does or does not align with your actual resources. Uh, and I've developed a system for getting started with figuring this out, which I've implemented now in various zoos. And it begins by outlining everything each individual human in the team wishes to train or achieve for a particular animal and group or group. In this brainstorming session, your job is to imagine that you have unlimited time, unlimited money, and unlimited resources. What would you aim for? You want to have fun in this part. The more far-fetched, the better, but also obviously include all of the actual important things you need to work towards. Then from this brainstorm, create two more lists, long-term goals, those more than four months away, and short-term goals, achievable in three to four months. And then, from the short-term list, draft a five-week plan. Each week set specific goals. In my experience, doing this will quickly help you identify if what you think you can achieve actually matches what you can achieve with the resources you have. And a lot of the time, we realize there is a mismatch, which often means splitting our goals up even more or even sometimes revisiting our goals. If this isn't done, often programs can feel like they're failing because goals are not achieved. And then the blame gets put on the fact that we tried running a training program, but it didn't work. But in reality, the problem was a resource one. I don't believe in training problems because... Behavior doesn't happen in isolation, as we know. So we've always got antecedents and consequences, which are under our control most of the time. So we've got environmental problems. Part of the environment is resources. And so most of our problems aren't training problems. They're resources problems. Because if we had 12 trainers for each animal, we could likely achieve it. So it's not that we can't train something. Do we have the resources to achieve what we're trying to achieve? And resources can be anything from time money, staffing numbers, knowledge, materials, or anything you need to run your program. And when limited resources meet reality, this is where one of the most important pieces of the puzzle comes in for me, and that is creativity. And knowing how to be creative and having a culture in your organization that promotes creativity and where it is safe to express ideas again, likely a whole nother topic for another episode, uh, is a valuable piece of the puzzle of having an effective program. So also when focusing on those weekly goals, we need to remember to celebrate our successes along the way. If we look at other facilities or we see on social media and compare ourselves to what others are doing, it can quickly become overwhelming. But just listening to this podcast show and hearing these ideas, these, these are all important approximations. Listening and acquiring new information is reinforceable behavior. We want to maintain this behavior and increase it in the future within our team. And like all of our animals, we need to be constantly ready 
and waiting for those desirable behaviors to reinforce along the way. Your program at your facility is unique to you and your specific context. And all you need to do is focus on the next approximation you and your organization and your your team need to take. Celebrate when it happens and in the next approximation and so on and so forth to infinity and beyond. That is progress. And that is something that all programs can have regardless of resources. I love Another that you essential... about the successful approximations as well and celebrating that because I think we heard that a fair bit at the conference and it's so important <laughs> yeah, I to love... remember, even if it's just a small approximation, to still celebrate those wins too. I added that in my speech recently last week. I was like, and we celebrated all our approximations <laughs> and like, you know, this one's for you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and and I, I like to give credit we credit's due as well uh, to one of my mentors, Dr. Susan Friedman, who really taught that to me. I remember I was sitting on a Zoom call with Susan and would I don't know what we're talking about, but Summer was in the background, my my daughter at the time. She was about 12 months old. And so I was facing the screen. Summer was behind me. Susan could see me and Summer. And I was focusing on Susan. And Susan said, what is, what is Summer doing, Ryan? And I turned around and Summer had climbed onto the couch. And she never climbed onto the couch before. I was like, oh my God, and we celebrated and we're like, this is amazing. <laughs> look at you, you're cool. And then she climbed back off and then we kind of moved the computer so we could watch her. And then she tried to climb back on again and she got stuck because it was a blanket there. And I was like, oh, we need to teach you, you know, next approximation needs to be like how to, how to navigate blankets. And Susan's <laughs> like, Ryan, just celebrate the fact that she's climbing on the couch. And I was like... <laughs> So my mentor, Susan, I mean, credit credit goes out to her. It's all (laughs) one big ripple um, from the work that that amazing person is doing. Another essential component, I think, and and this this comes into what we've just talked about, of a basic training program is shaping plans for the human learners involved. Each human in the team and each trainer is unique with their own learning history and skill set. Therefore, individualized training plans for the human learners within the broader program are crucial. For example, transitioning from classroom learning about animal training and behavior to practical application can be daunting. Recognizing the gap between one what learns in a what one learns in a podcast and real-world application, I found tools like Portal, the Portable Operant Research and Teaching Lab designed by Mary Hunter and Dr. Jesus Rosales-Ruiz from the University of North Texas to be invaluable. Portal, for those who don't know, is a tabletop shaping game that bridges the gap between theory and practice, allowing trainers to experiment, discuss, and even experience the frustrations of training in a controlled environment with another human learner. And then, before trainers start working with animals like koalas, lizards, or elephants, I believe we benefit hugely from further hands-on experience with easier non-human learners. With the teams I've collaborated with, we've trained more accessible animals like chickens, dogs, or horses that already have a history of positive reinforcement training. This step helps trainers refine their skills before transitioning to their primary animal species with their unique natural histories. In essence, a successful training program not only focuses on the animals, but also prioritizes the growth and development of the human learners involved using shaping, successive approximations, and positive reinforcement. Because after all, behavior works the same for all earthlings. Yeah, I think it's really important that you said about the importance of teaching and learning for us as well as the animals 
it's all combined as one to make sure that you achieve success with that. And how important do you think education about training is to help get your team on board with a training program? Well, education is paramount. Uh, knowledge can instill confidence and, and help refine our skills. For, for me, it's an essential foundation. And it's important to note as well that, that learning never, ever stops. I've been in this field for one and a half decades and I still learn so much every year. Sometimes it's even learning about things that have been right in front of me, but I've just never seen them. For instance, last year, I delved deep into reinforcement systems, learning from Mary Hunter, one of the co-creators of Portal I mentioned earlier. Learning about this taught me that effective reinforcement is so much more than the tangible reinforcer you're offering. For example, if we're talking about food and you want, you want to use food to reinforce your animal, we need to think about so many things. What food? How are we going to store our food? Is the food dry or sticky? And if we put sticky food in a pouch, are we able to easily get it out? How do we deliver it? What are our hands doing while our animal is offering behavior? Do we have a clicker or another audible marker? And then what exactly is the process for when we go to grab and or offer the food? How do we offer it? Where do we offer it? Does where we offer it help set our animal up for the next repetition? And what do we do with our hand after? And does our animal understand the specific behaviors it needs to do to both access the food, wait for us to get the food, eat the food, and then position itself to be ready for the next session? Until last year, I'd never thought about all of this in so much depth. And my God, learning about it and refining all of the little nuances of a reinforcement system can dramatically improve your training. Every year brings new learning opportunities, and it never stops. Without continuous learning, we become stagnant. And then you asked about alignment within a team. Ensuring that everyone on the team has the same information, I think, is paramount to success. An example that comes to mind is the use of labels. Assigning labels to animals such as stubborn, frustrated, or manipulative only tells us about how people feel about their animals. It doesn't provide information about what the animal did and the context in which it did it which is information we need if we wish to effectively intervene in behavior. Without delving too deeply into the pros and cons of using labels, if some team members believe using labels is undesirable, while others don't see an issue because they both have different information and education about this, it can understandably create significant challenges when trying to run an effective program. Also, there's the common adage that, that training is always happening. However, I prefer to say learning is always happening. And as when I refer to training, I mean the deliberate and strategic manipulation of antecedents and consequences to influence behavior. Whilst we might be in a situation with our animals, like during cleaning or feeding, and not always be consciously thinking about setting up their antecedents and consequences to modify their behavior. The animals, however, in these situations are always learning. And we need to be aware because how we behave in these contexts influence what they learn and how they behave. For example, what do they do when you put that white bucket full of reinforcers on the ground? What are they doing before you put the bucket down? And what do you do when they come down and start undesirably interacting with it? Constantly watching the way our animals learn and engage with their environments and being able to see the if-then relationships that are always occurring and how ABCs work, for example, empowers us to always be setting our teams up for success. I really like how you spoke about the um the labels especially and the like self-fulfilling prophecies that we 
learned a lot about at the conference that by far was one of the presentations I took so much away from and how impactful in a negative way that a lot of labeling can do to your training at different facilities too. Kudos to Tim Sullivan, yeah. I believe. Are you talking about Tim's presentation? Yeah, yeah so he speaks good. speaks so eloquently and from such a great depth of experience about that topic. Yeah, definitely. Now, you might have touched on this in your last couple of answers, but what tips would you give to someone trying to pitch or motivate a team about a training program? Well, first and foremost, I totally understand the challenges of this endeavor. The feelings of frustration, stress, and being overwhelmed resonate with me as I have walked in those shoes before. Through my experiences in influencing cultures within zoos, establishing programs and leading teams, I've garnered some invaluable insights though. One of the most important lessons I've learned, and I've shared multiple times today, is the importance of celebrating each step along the way, no matter its size. And then there are two other pivotal areas I'd like to delve into. Firstly, managing challenging conversations. And secondly, the value in modeling behavior. Building skills and being able to talk about the, not only the easy things, but also the more challenging things is, I believe, paramount. It enables us to engage others effectively, offer and receive fresh perspectives, and build strong relationships. Just as building a relationship is often the first step when training an animal, I believe the same principle applies to interactions with managers or colleagues. Without a solid foundation of trust and understanding our capacity to instigate change, without a solid foundation of trust and understanding, then our capacity to instigate change can become really restricted. Alongside effective communication is equally valuable, I believe, to model the desirable behaviors we want. By exemplifying the benefits of training, we can showcase its advantages for both the animals and the organization. And we can show how this can benefit things such as cost savings or enhanced visitor, visitor experiences or whatever, air quotes, currency your managers and peers talk. Ultimately, of course, we're also having a positive impact via the training on the animals we are training. And while I found success in either solely modeling good behavior or handling difficult conversations well, I find a combination of both of these often produces the most impactful results. Um, I'm also thinking about a recent interaction at a conference, the conference that we've been talking about thus far that comes to mind. Uh, an individual was contemplating how to introduce new ideas to their organization and was strategizing with me on how to present it to their managers. The crux was discerning what drove the manager, what were their reinforcers. In this instance, we hypothesized a desire for recognition within the larger organizations they worked. So we hypothesized this was a reinforcer for their manager. We explored the idea of utilizing an already existing newsletter circulated within the organization. We would attempt to spotlight the manager's endeavors in elevating animal welfare by providing staff development and sending them to their conference, subsequently enhancing both the visitor experience and the organization's reputation. And we thought about including a photo of the team standing, smiling, and happy with their manager and a trained animal, which we thought might be a helpful first approximation for them when they got back. In essence, the journey to effective change is always about understanding and targeting desired behaviors while identifying the right reinforcer. 
And it's crucial to recognize that what reinforces one individual might seek might not reinforce another. And then be ready to reinforce the small victories. Even a simple act, like someone posing a question, can signify progress and be a step in the right direction. Attempt to reinforce and celebrate that progress. That's some really cool tips. I think people are going to get a lot out of that. So thank you for sharing those. Yeah, we're actually going to start a training um, advisory group at my facility. So that's in the works at the moment. And I think that's some great Congratulations. Yeah, that's I'm celebrating um, that. (laughs) I love it. So good. All right. Well, I think you answered those questions really well. And we're so thankful for you coming on once again. But we do have a couple more from our listeners. So we're just going to fire away at those last couple. First of all, what's your favorite species you've worked with and why? Well, that is a that is potentially the most challenging question you asked today. <laughs> to pick a single <laughs> favorite species, given the vast array we've, I've worked with over the years. Um, but one that holds a special place in my heart, I would say, is the wedge-tailed eagle. There's a personal yeah. journey I am, yeah, woo-woo, I embarked <laughs> on with a particular wedge-tailed eagle named Reg. Uh, he's a significant reason behind my passion and the path I've chosen in life. Uh, we shared so many memorable moments at Ken's Tropical Zoo. And beyond my bond with Reg, I found that these eagles in general are akin to big affectionate puppies. Their loyalty and the deep relationships I've fostered with them over time uh, make them the species that comes to mind when you ask that question. I love it. Great answer. I would second that motion. (laughs) (laughs) Penguins are also up there. Yes. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate the love (laughs) for the penguins. Um, Now I know... Throughout the um, conversation, you've mentioned a few different resources like the Cam Prior, Don't Shoot the Dog, and obviously Portal as well. But one of the questions that we did get through was, do you have any other book or maybe resource recommendations for training? And I guess in particular, when first teaching or trying to inspire fellow co-workers. Yeah, so I'd highly recommend two books that have been instrumental in my journey. And we've even dedicated podcast episodes to both Uh, at Animal Training Academy, which I'd be happy to share with your audience. The first is Crucial Conversations. This book underscores the significance of creating a safe environment for any conversation, irrespective of its nature. It's been a guiding light throughout numerous phases of my life, and I can't emphasize its value enough. The second recommendation is Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck. It offers invaluable insights into cultivating the right attitude and approach towards learning. The feedback we've received from our podcast listeners, many of whom proceeded to read the book, has been overwhelmingly positive. It's one of our most popular episodes. Lastly, when it comes to training, Don't Shoot the Dog is a must-read for everyone. We've been asking for years how people got started in training, and the most common answer we get is, I was working with aversives, and I got stuck in this problem, and then I read Don't Shoot the Dog, and then my life changed. Um, So if you haven't read that book and it's not on your bookshelf, grab it. It provides profound lessons that extend beyond just training animals, resonating with human interactions and relationships as well. So everyone on the planet should read that book. Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. When we reached out to our listeners, we asked, what do people want to hear about? And definitely training to, or inspiring our teams to start training programs was by far the most popular. And I think you've been the perfect guest to talk about that. So thank you so much for your time. I know you spoke a little bit earlier about your website, but do you have any other places that people can reach out to you if they do have any more questions following this? 
yeah, or you can find us on. I'm, I'm nowhere near as good as Instagram as you girls. Isn't this all like one of your profiles are like seventy thousand followers or something? Yeah, that's so you are now <laughs> my new social media marketing manager. Um, and <laughs> so you can find me on Instagram, but I've only got like a fraction of that. And on Facebook, Animal Training Academy is our business. You can find me just as Ryan Cartledge um, or our website, and you can contact me via any of those platforms. It's probably the easiest thing. And then you can search for our podcast show, the Animal Training Academy podcast show. I was not as creative with my name as you girls were. <laughs> uh, and we've got another one as well called Making Ripples podcast show. So a few podcast shows that you guys can listen to. Definitely recommend Ryan's podcast to anyone listening as well. So good. Thank you girls for everything that you do as well. Very appreciated. No, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Thank you again. Pleasure. Thank you. Such an informative conversation, Tess. We both really hope that you enjoyed that one. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would love it if you can follow and rate it on wherever you listen to your podcast. It's just going to help us get our podcast out there to other like-minded animal people. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.